You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, Packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, Pack underscore Daddy. I am broadcasting from the Vivid Seats studios. Make sure you use promo code OVERTIME in the Vivid Seats mobile app to save up to $100 on all ticket purchases. First time customers only. I wanted to make sure I could hit that only. You know, I was running out of air there. You got to hit it, man. The people need it. Got to give the people what they want. So um, I'm not going to lie. Yesterday made me a bit nervous because football's kind of weird. And, um, well, I, you know, the, the funny thing is that I'm starting to learn it's not a matter even so much of who's the better team. Sometimes it is, right? If, if the Patriots play the Miami Dolphins, the Patriots are going to win because they're the better team, right? Nine times, I don't, I don't, that's a really bad example because Miami tends to beat New England, but I'm just trying to think best team, worst team. But the interesting thing is the more I do this and the more I do kind of these reviews and everything else, it's not so much better or worse. It's just a matter of here's the conditions in which this team wins. Here's the conditions in which this team wins or that team wins to alleviate confusion. And I, I use Minnesota and Philadelphia as an example of that, or even Tampa Bay, Carolina, because as I went through it, I said, I believe Philadelphia is a better team than Minnesota. I still don't know that that's entirely untrue. However, there is a matchup problem here. And so the conditions were essentially, I think Philadelphia is better than Minnesota. I think they match up fairly well. However, there's one big, massive problem. Philadelphia's passing game, when it's on, is actually really, really really, really good. My hope is that they forgot. I really, because I, I was laughing at how much they were crying, because it's like, you dummies don't even know how good you are, and this is awesome. You guys are pouting, uh, the world's coming to an end. Like, dude, you guys are good. You don't even know it. Well, they remembered, and Kirk Cousins played out of his mind, and that against the Philadelphia defense becomes problematic. Now, under different conditions, for example, Kirk Cousins' has a bad day, I think the Eagles steamroll the Vikings. But you got Kirk Cousins on a roll, the wide receivers playing at, at, at top level, the Philadelphia Eagles lose that game 10 times out of 10. And that's what we saw. Carolina-Tampa. I said I think, I think Tampa has a real good chance of actually winning this game, even though Carolina's favored it. The one caveat I said yesterday is uh, Jameis Winston. I said if he has a really bad day, as he tends to do, then there, it, it, this is all null and void. I, I do think Tampa Bay has a real good chance of winning the game, but Jameis Winston has a real penchant for just blowing it. He had five picks yesterday. The guy needs to go, and he's going to go. I can promise you that. See, every once in a while, you know, it's like, oh, he's so bad, and then he has a really good game where he throws for five touchdowns and no interceptions. It's like, oh, maybe there's something. And then he does this, and it's like, nope, nope, done forever. But again, it comes down to the conditions. It's not about even necessarily better or worse. I, you could argue either way in this game. I, I would, as I did, argue Tampa's actually a little bit better and matches up a little bit better against Carolina when you look at the wide receivers against the, the corners, et cetera, et cetera. However, the condition and caveat I put in is if Jameis has a garbage day, Carolina wins. Jameis threw five picks, Carolina wins. It's about the conditions. Houston, Kansas City. Kansas City, I think, is a better team than Houston. However, we got to monitor this situation where the offense is struggling to get, to get going because defenses, because the Lions laid out the groundwork for how to stop the Kansas City Chiefs. The Colts put the, the, the Lions laid it out, nearly beat them. The Colts laid it out. The offense couldn't even get going, and they lost. And then the Houston Texans did it, and Kansas City, even though Houston put up 31, and that's kind of a lot, 31 against Kansas City, you would think is, that's not good enough. Kansas City only scored 24 points. 
So again, there's all these variables and all these different things. It's not necessarily about better or worse. I mean, come on. Do we know definitively Kansas City is worse than Houston? No. Kansas City Chiefs are still the Kansas City Chiefs. They're the team that has this really scary, really elite offense and terrible defense, which is why they're not going to win a Super Bowl. They are... It's funny, I look at the Kansas City Chiefs and I feel like, in a weird way, it's almost like Packer fans are kind of like Chiefs fans' father. Like, we're kind of looking down at them and they're having a lot of fun, and you kind of just feel bad for them because you know they're heading down a bad path where they're super cocky and they're super arrogant and they think that they're like the best team in football. And in in a way, they kind of are, but you know they're not going to win a Super Bowl because it's like, dude, we've been down that road. Until you get that defense going, ain't going to happen. And now you see this team that routinely throws up, you know, 30, 40 points. I mean, really, I, I don't even know if we can put it on the Lions. They want to take credit for it. But the Chiefs scored 34 against the Lions. They scored uh, 28 against the Raiders. They scored 19 against the Colts, or excuse me, 13 against the Colts and lost. And then they scored 24 against the Texans. And then they got to go up against the Broncos. Now, that's going to be another one of those situations where every, I mean, the, the line against that game, I can tell you right now, is going to be, seven points in favor of the Chiefs. It's going to be out of control. The Chiefs are going to steamroll the Broncos. This is redemption game. And I'm going to look at it the same way I looked. Uh, what game was it? There was something I said. I don't know. I did, occasionally I predict stuff. But the point is, everybody's looking at that game as better and worse. And better is the Chief and worse is the Broncos. But what we're not following here is, is the storyline. Number one, the defenses have kind of figured out the Chiefs a little bit, or at least how to how to make them human. Number two, the Broncos are a pretty good defense with a really good defensive coordinator, meaning if there's a, a, a layout of how we win, the Broncos can follow it. How about this? The Broncos just won last week over the Tennessee Titans, allowing exactly zero points. How about that? How about the fact that you've got this titan of an offense that's never, ever been really bad since they got going with Mahomes that suddenly is starting to feel human, and sometimes that shatters your confidence a little bit. All these things are coming into play. I don't know who wins that game. I know who's better. It's the Chiefs. I don't know who wins that game, though. Arizona, for example, this is a great example. Arizona beat Atlanta. I I predicted that. Atlanta was the favorite. Why were they the favorite? Because they're a better team. They are. They have better players than the Arizona Cardinals. I predicted the Arizona Cardinals would win. Why? Because there's something deeper going on with Atlanta that just isn't, something's wrong with that team. It's very similar to what the, actually, the Packers and the Falcons last year went through this same situation. Both of them were teams with pretty good rosters and really talented players sprinkled throughout the roster that just could not get it going. Something was wrong on a deep level. The Packers are trying to correct that. The Falcons did nothing, and they're still going down the state. So, so that was the storyline. That was sort of what I'm reading into. Dallas is another. I, I never saw this coming, but Dallas is another one. Again, this titan of a team that's starting to feel human. What happened? You got the storyline of of the, the Jets and this really scary defense with their literal psychopath um, defensive coordinator, which I'll be honest, probably shouldn't admit this, I loved watching that. There was something just awesome about watching this mugging, mauling defense just go out and assault every single play, and I want the Packers to have that so bad. It's why I like Petten because he comes from that AFC East Jets, Bills, just mugging people kind of defense. Granted, defensive coordinator, a little scary, maybe not the greatest guy, but he's got some good, fun defenses to watch. And he had a great game plan against a quarterback that, what, doesn't do very well against pressure. The only thing that team could do was run the ball. Anytime they, and it's a very similar Petten style of defense. Go ahead and run the ball and take chunks. Go ahead and pass the ball and get seven. As long as you're, st every single time you drop back to throw a pass, every single time you do anything, you're giving us an opportunity. You run the ball, you give us an opportunity to tackle you behind the line of scrimmage. Just, just We just want opportunities. Dallas kept giving them opportunities. Who's the better team, though? Of course Dallas is a better team. Tennessee, Denver, who's the better team? Probably Tennessee. Pittsburgh Chargers, who's a better team? Char Chargers are pretty beat up, but I think the Chargers are a better team. Pittsburgh won. The, the only reason I'm bringing any of this up is because it goes into this game today. It's not about... See, the problem is, whoever wins, it's going to be a matter of... We, we take it to heart. If Detroit wins, we're going to take it to Oh, see, Detroit's better. And then the national folks are going to Okay, so now we know. Let's see. Minnesota's probably number one, even though Detroit's in the lead. Minnesota's the best team in the NFC North. We now know Detroit is better than the Packers. So then, you know, the Packers aren't as good as we thought. Blah, blah, blah. So it's what is it? Is it uh, Minnesota, then Detroit, and then what is it? The Bears or the Packers? What do you think? I don't know. Probably the Packers and then the Bears, you know, but it's close. It's nonsense. 
There are certain storylines and there are certain conditions for each of these teams coming into this game. There, there's certain teams that are, you know, Detroit's coming off a bye and Green Bay's got the injuries. And there's all these different factors and things going into this game. And it's a matter of under these conditions, the Packers win. Under these conditions, the Lions win. The Packers need to come in and control their destiny. They're coming in with a plan they have to execute. The Packers are the better team. That isn't questionable. But you can't fall into the same trap that the Philadelphia Eagles in in allowing Minnesota to do the one thing that is absolutely going to destroy us. If you're Tampa, you can't do that one thing that's going to lose us the game, like throwing five picks. If you're the Kansas City Chiefs, you can't allow another defense to shut you down. We got Tariq Hill back. We got to take it to him. We got to show him we're not going to let you do that. You're going to man-to-man Tariq Hill? Best of luck. We're going to carve you up 35 points against the Texans. Here it comes. You know, Dallas Cowboys, we're, 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 we're not going to just sit back and let you mug. We're, we're going to carve you up. You want to bring pressure? We're going to go right over your head. And we're going to run Zeke right down your throat. We're going to grind your defense into, into absolute dust. And this terrible offense with no wide receivers and no offensive line, we're going to destroy your quarterback. You're in a lot of trouble here. But none of those things, all the bad stuff happened for those teams that lost. Teams that you could argue each one of them is actually better than the team they lost to. And so I'm, I'm kind of talking about two things. Number one, predicting the game is one thing. Predicting comes down to, number one, who's the better team. It is the Packers. Number two, looking at all the scenarios in which the Packers lose, are any of these more likely than the scenarios in which the Packers win. I talked about that yesterday in which, you know, here's here's why I think the Packers win. Here's what needs to happen. Here's what we can't let happen. For example, if you're Detroit, you better find a way to stop pressure. Matt Stafford is terrible under pressure. If the Packers are able to pressure Matt Stafford consistently, they're in a lot of trouble. Now, on the reverse side of that, if we're able to bring pressure, but they're running the ball for eight yards every time they touch it, we're in trouble. Can't let that happen. Now, maybe we can get away with that like we have in the past if the offense can keep running it right down their throat. Right? There, there's all this back and forth. But ultimately, what I would love to see from the Green Bay Packers and, and from the defense especially that I have not seen, that I see consistently from other teams, it's what I saw from the, the Minnesota Vikings when they played the Eagles that the Packers would not, could not do. And granted, it has some to do with how they played. You know, the Minnesota Vikings had more linebackers in, so it's easier to do this. But attack. The Packers are so passive. The Jets, what do they do? They attack. Now, the Packers are good at attacking when it's a pass play, right? One of the best teams in the NFL bringing four, right? We talked about that. That's great. When are we going to bring six or seven so that when they run the ball, they lose two yards? And when they pass the ball, he's got two seconds to get the ball out or it's, or it's you know, he's dead. He's literally going to be dead. The, the, the Green Bay Packers are a talented defense. I want them to take that step, like sort of similar to what we saw earlier in the year, where they are a mugging and mauling defense. The last few weeks, what we've seen is a passive defense. And I, I hate to put it all on Blake, but he's the only guy a lot of times standing back there. So you've got a defensive line that isn't penetrating. They're just kind of holding their ground. And then you've got a linebacker who's standing at the next level waiting, hoping that when the guy comes through, he can shed a block and make a tackle, which is a minimum of a five-yard gain. No, shoot through, penetrate if you're a defensive lineman. Blake, shoot through gaps. Beat the offensive lineman through that gap. So instead of him coming through and blocking you, you shoot through, punch him in the neck, and tackle the, the running back behind the line of scrimmage. Why did you punch him on the way there? Just for good measure. Because there are certain teams that are starting to solidify themselves as elite. And, and some, even sometimes it's, it's certain sides of the ball. The Jets' defense has proven itself to be a dominant defense. The Patriots on both sides of the ball are unstoppable. The San Francisco 49ers are officially legit, especially that defense. The Seattle Seahawks are, in my opinion, I was thinking about this, they're like the Patriots' light. They're like New England' light. It doesn't matter the fact that they keep losing talent, and they're losing talent. I keep thinking they're going to fall off. You know what they are? They're a great coach and a great quarterback that refuse to lose. They're a very disciplined team. They don't make a lot of mistakes. They're going to keep coming, and if you give them a little bit of space to win in the end, they're going to win that game. They're not the Patriots because they don't have near the talent, but they are very similar to the Patriots in that they're a very well-run football team, very disciplined football team with a very good coach and a very good quarterback, and unfortunately they have a garbage GM that refuses to put talent on their roster. 
But you start to look at these things. You look at the, even the Minnesota Vikings when they're clicking, which they seem to be right now with that really good, aggressive defense, and the offense is starting to click, and they've got a good running back. The Packers need to kind of take that step. It's great that we're winning while still being flawed, but certain teams are starting to present, right? They're starting to come out and say, all right, this, this is no joke now. They're starting to take people out like it's nothing. The 49ers are going up against one of the one of the best teams in the NFC, and they just beat them into a pulp like they, they were nothing. Jared Goff had his worst game, I think, as a pro ever. The Packers are just kind of floating. And they're, they're, you know, you look at the national media and they're like, I don't know if they're good or not. I, f- I think they're good. I know they can be good, but I'm not sure if they're good. And the run defense is so bad. And the wide receiver situation just scares me. And I mean, they're still winning, which is good. They need to have a statement game. They, they don't need to. I'll take a win. But it, a win is, is nothing more than just it's, it's good, but it's, it's, as long as they're this, they're not going to go anywhere. At some point, they need to show somebody that, that, Teams like the Detroit Lions or the Vikings or the Washington Redskins or whoever, these, these kinds of opponents just, it's, it's a waste of our time. This is practice. We're going to smash you 24 nothing in the first half, and we're not going to take our foot off your throat. They're good at that first part. It's the giving up at the second half that's tough. They need to have a New England Patriots 35-14 moment. I would even take a 20-7 kind of a win, because as much as 20 points isn't great, it's clearly a dominant, we are, the, we are now ahead of you in this division kind of a game. You, you, you're, you're done. Thank you very much for your time in the throne. Thanks for keeping it warm. Get out. Not that Detroit was ever there, but the Packers need to have that moment sometime this year. It's still early. It doesn't have to be this week. I'm, I'm just saying, again, certain teams are doing it. Certain teams have stepped up, especially as other teams have stepped down, like Dallas. Although, you know, Dallas can recoup just like the Vikings did, right? They fell off for a second, now they're back, and maybe they'll fall off. Nobody knows. But the Packers also have some tough games coming up, and it's not just a matter of proving it to me and to you. It's a matter of proving it to themselves and being that team so that when they go up against the Chiefs, they can smash the Chiefs in the mouth. I don't want them to figure it out after they lose to the Chiefs. I don't want them to figure it out after they lose to the 49ers. I want them to figure it out today. So that going into the game against the Chiefs, they're the favorites. Going into the game against the 49ers, they're favorites. Because they're titans in the NFL. But again, it gets to be hard when you look at this. And the more you understand, the less you realize you know about this. And you look at the game and you just kind of shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know. I know if this happens, it would be good. And I know if this happens, it would be bad. I believe the Packers have a better roster. Like if you were to just score it. Like, you know, you can go to PFF. They essentially score it. They have the Lions above the Packers. So that's, that's how they would score it. Again, that's primarily because of our abysmal run blocking and run defense and tackling. But it's, it's, it's not about the score. And really, the, the score, again, is just a reflection of what you've done in the past. Dallas Cowboys are currently number three. What do you think their score is going to be after this week when they lost to the Jets? I'm guessing it's going to go down quite a bit. And by the way, Dallas was number one at one point. The Minnesota Vikings were sitting at four. I'm guessing that's going to go up even further after this week. The Eagles are seven, probably going to drop. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take our first break. just wanted to uh, get that off my chest right quick. And I will continue ranting when we return. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. All right, folks, today is the big day. Green Bay Packers, Detroit Lions. I think we need to amp it up a little bit. I'm talking pizza. I'm talking wings. I'm talking a little bit of extra money. Make no mistake, my bookie is your place this week for all the fun on Monday Night Football. Currently, the line keeps moving closer and closer and closer to the Detroit Lions. The Packers are now only favored by three and a half points. Good. Benefit Packers. Just makes it easier, man. By the way, the over-under currently 45 and a half. Apparently, Vegas seems to think that the score is going to be lower and lower, and that is going to help the Detroit Lions. Whatever. But if you're not into spreads and totals, they've also got stuff like player props, like how many rushing yards Aaron Jones is going to get, or how many interceptions Matt Stafford is going to throw. Also, it's not too late to get an NFC North ticket or other season-long predictions. And that really is just scratching the surface. We've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you this great offer. Sign up at MyBookie.ag and use promo code OVERTIME, and they'll match your first deposit. Again, promo code OVERTIME, and new users get their first deposit doubled. MyBookie.ag, you play, you win, you get paid. 
Speaking of my bookie, let's see what PFF has to say about this line here. So I'm looking at it. They've, they've got what's called PFF Green Line, and they set their own uh, market line and all this other stuff. They've got it at three, minus 3.4 for the Packers. Um, but they've also got their ELO ranking. They've got the Packers number 8 overall, the, the Detroit Lions number 23. The offensive rank, they have the Packers 10th as opposed to the Lions 17. They have the defense ranked 7th and the Lions ranked 15th. The reason this is wildly important is because we've got several factors, as I said. You've got, um, on a very basic level, there's the scoring of what each player and, and position has done this season. Then you get into this, and this is the, the actually it's not ELO, I keep calling it as the ELO or LO or whatever. These are adjusted rankings. In other words, the Detroit Lions, they have about two spots higher than the Green Bay Packers. However, looking at this, they seem to think clearly they have a better team, a better offense, and a better defense because these are adjusted for competition, meaning the Packers have maybe not played as well as the Lions, but the Packers have played much better competition than the Lions thus far. So according to them, the Packers have a better team offense defense across the board. I don't know if I read it, but the, the Packers, they have 8th overall, the Lions 23 overall, Packers offense 10th, the Lions 17th, Packers defense 7th, and the Lions 15th. Let me just comment on something else too, because I'm, I'm, I'm listening to a lot of these sort of uh, Vegas folks, the bet makers and whatnot, and they're really hyping up the Lions, and that's I think that's fair. It's fair to say they, you know, they could easily be 4-0 coming into this game. and They're an underrated team. They nearly beat the Kansas City Chiefs. They blew it against the Cardinals. If they win those two games, they're 4-0 having beat the Chiefs, blah, 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 blah. Here's another way to look at that. The Arizona Cardinals are kind of trash, and they couldn't close that game out. The only reason they were even in the game against the Chiefs is because they punched out the ball about six times in a row. The defense gave up 34 points despite getting how many turnovers in that game? Oh, yeah, three turnovers. They took the ball away three times, Chiefs still got 34 points. They also gave up the ball twice to a terrible defense. Here's something else. They only beat the Eagles by three points, and they only beat the Chargers, who are terrible, by three points. So yes, they could be 4-0. and They could also very easily be 0-4. They have not beat a team by more than three points. And again, you look at who they've played. You got the Arizona Cardinals who are terrible. You got the Chargers, who are just in, in a tailspin. You got the Eagles, who, granted, did beat the Green Bay Packers, but seemingly are losing to everybody else. And you got the Kansas City Chiefs, who, you, you know, the, again, the Lions want to take credit for what they did to the Chiefs. I, I don't think they did anything. Again, the Chiefs scored 30 points after giving it up three times. The Raiders only allowed them 28 points, and a bunch of teams after the fact, they've only been in the 20s. Not even. It was 13 against the Colts. In fact, they've only been 30 or higher three times, one of which was against the Detroit Lions. And they've only turned over the ball outside of that Lions game twice. So the Lions got three huge gifts that the Chiefs don't usually give up, and they still lost. So, yeah, props to the Lions for being where they are and and showing some people up and all that stuff. But let's kind of calm down with the Lions are underrated. They should be 4-0 garbage. They got four good plays, massive turnovers, and still lost to a team that's struggling to get into the 30s these days. In fact, I think the, the common denominator is any time the Chiefs have turned the ball over, they have not scored 30 points. They didn't turn the ball over against the Jacksonville Jaguars. They scored 40. They turned the ball over once against the Raiders. They scored 28. They didn't turn the ball over against the Baltimore Ravens. They scored 33. They turned the ball over once against the Colts. They scored 13. They turned the ball over at least once against the Houston Texans. They only scored 24. They turned the ball over three times against the Lions. They still scored 30 points. So again, let's just go ahead and relax. We could actually take it a step further if we want to. That very, very close um, Atlanta, excuse me, the uh, Cardinals game, that's the most points that they scored all year, including the game they won against the Bengals when they scored 26 points. So far, they've scored 26, 10, 20, 17, and 27. They did beat the Chargers, which is cool, but again, the Chargers right now are 2-3. and three. The only team they've beat outside of the Colts in overtime is the Miami Dolphins. Also interesting in that, the Miami Dolphins also only scored 10 points. The Detroit Lions have the second lowest score against the Chargers so far this season at 13, but they won because the Chargers only scored 10 points. The Colts scored 24 points. The Texans scored 27 points. The Broncos scored 20 points. The Lions only scored 13. So again, maybe we'll relax a little bit. 
And the Eagles, again, it was a three-point game, and there were two turnovers in that game. The, 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 the turnover ratio was 2-0, to zero, and the Lions won by two. Turnovers have absolutely killed that team. The two losses they've had so far, not including the Vikings, and I don't know what that stat is because I'm not looking at it and I don't care. They lost to the Falcons when they turned it over three times. They lost to the Lions. They turned it over twice. They didn't turn it over once against the Packers, and they beat the Packers. They didn't turn it over once against the Washington Redskins. They, they annihilated the Washington Redskins. It looks like, from what I can tell, because now I have to look it up, it looks like they turned it over twice. Zach Ertz lost a fumble. Carson Wentz threw a pick. So two turnovers, and they lost to the Vikings. That, that's sort of a killer for them, apparently. So that's something also to keep an eye on in this game, and, and we've, we've mentioned that. Matt LaFleur talked about that, about how we cannot let them punch the ball out. They're very, very good at that. But the Packers tend to be pretty good at the turnover ratios. The only game the Packers have lost in terms of turnovers is the Philadelphia Eagles. It was 2-0. to zero. The Bears, the, the Packers got one pick. The, uh, the Bears had zero. The Vikings, it was 4-2. to two. The Broncos, it was 3 to nothing, And then the Dallas Cowboys, it was 3 to nothing. The turnovers have been huge for the Green Bay Packers. They've also been pretty big for the Detroit Lions. And they've lost every single game in which they've lost the turnover battle. It's true for both teams. Both teams have lost every game in which they lost the turnover battle. So for the Packers, I think that means wrap up the ball, don't let them punch it out. And also, as I talked about yesterday, take advantage of them punching and run through some of these garbage tackles. Because if you're punching, you're not really tackling. Secondly, we're talking about getting pressure on Matt Stafford because, again, he's not very good under pressure. Now, he's been relatively good with the football, but as opportunistic as this secondary is, I think that's going to be the key. Um, I, I, why don't we take a break? There's one other thing I really want to touch on, and uh, we'll see where we can go from there. But uh, I want to talk about, once again, something I've already talked about, but in a little bit more detail about how there's certain players that have not even come close to playing to their full potential yet. And I want to look at that and how that plays out in this game. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So I want to start off, and I just, I just want to go down the line because um, certain players have, have graded out a certain kind of way um, so far throughout the season via PFF, and I want to compare that and contrast that with what they've done throughout the season. This is also going to be somewhat of a benefit for anybody that's in the stock market game, which, by the way, that's up in the Facebook group. Make sure you get that done before the game or you're locked out for the week. But this will be a little inside baseball here. Number one, though, is Aaron Rodgers. I've said I think he's playing some good football. However, his grade is quote-unquote good, um, and it's actually his lowest grade that he's ever had since 2007. His lowest grade he's had since he's been a starter. The next lowest grade is 2017. He had a grade of 79. 2015, which was his really bad year, had a grade of 77. So far this year, 76.9. However, I would like to point out some things because, again, PFF doesn't adjust for competition. The Minnesota Vikings right now are currently ranked the number three defense in football. The Bears are ranked the number four defense in football. The Broncos are ranked the number nine defense in football. The Eagles are also 11, and the Cowboys are 12. These are tough defenses. The Lions are 18th. Now, not having Devontae isn't going to help, but there's an opportunity for him to get closer to his normal grade, which is around the 85 to 90 range, right? Elite quarterback. 
And for those of you that don't know, last year, PFF put zero of the blame on Aaron Rodgers. As much as it looked like a bad year, he had last year a grade of 89.7. The the room for him to grow, and, and so just to alleviate the idea that, well, maybe he just isn't that good anymore. No, last year, when everything was falling apart, they gave him an elite grade. Basically just said everything around him was garbage. So there is plenty of room to grow. Looking specifically at coverage, the... Uh, Vikings 5th, the Bears 7th, the Broncos 9th, the Dallas Cowboys 10th. The only team that is worse than the Lions as far as their coverage defense is the Eagles. And again, all of these teams that the Packers have played have better overall defenses so far, grading out by PFF uh, as the Detroit Lions. Looking at pass rush, another thing that affects the um, the quarterback. Chicago Bears, number 1. Philadelphia Eagles, number 4. Vikings 14. Dallas Cowboys, 15. Detroit Lions, 23rd. There's some room to grow here. Bottom line is, as far as Aaron Rodgers is concerned, whether we're talking overall defense, whether we're talking coverage defense, whether we're talking pass rush, everything about the Lions is worse, with the exception of the Eagles secondary, which is only a little bit worse than the Detroit Lions secondary. Now, I know getting Darius Slay going is going to help them out and all that, But again, Aaron Rodgers has struggled, and because they don't account for competition level, it makes it look like he's worse than he probably is going up against some of the best defenses in football. And if he had been playing instead of all those teams, for example, if he'd been playing, oh, I don't know, the uh, the Dolphins, the Redskins, the Giants, even the Chiefs, the Falcons, you know, any even just below average. Which if we just draw the line at 16. Every single defense the Packers have faced so far are an above-average defense. This is the first team that is 17-32, to 32, which is the Detroit Lions sitting at 18. Now, I'm not even saying they're a bad defense. I'm just saying this is going to be the, the probably the least talented defense. Now, there's still a matter of in what way and how do they match up, right? The Eagles having a really bad secondary played out to the advantage of the Green Bay Packers to a large degree as far as Aaron Rodgers is concerned. Another guy that is wildly underperforming, and this has a lot to do with pass rush, is David Bakhtiari. David Bakhtiari, the last three years, has graded 86, 87, and 88. So far this year, 65.4. It is the worst year he's ever had at, at pass blocking. And it's not even close. His rookie year in 2013, he had a 69, which is appropriate. 69.0, by the way. I, I think he paid PFF to do that. So this is the worst year he's ever had, which is why I keep talking about his back. Is his back okay? What's going on with his back? What's going on? Because really good pass rushers, but kind of so what? Because some of the best pass rushers have actually been lining up across from Bak- from uh, Balaga. I don't know what's going on here. What I do know is that although Okwara has done a good job of generating some level of pressure, this is not this is not the Chicago Bears. This is not the Minnesota Vikings. This is not the Dallas Cowboys. You've got guys that are just not very good. The best pass rusher, the guy that's graded as the highest pass rush grade is Trey Flowers, who, by the way, is primarily, I believe, going to be lining up across from Brian Balaga. His overall pass rush grade is a 65.8. The second best pass rusher is um, Devin Kennard. His grade is a 62.9, and then Romeo Okwara, 59.9. All three of them are graded out essentially as average. Now, the production is fine, but again, the grade is, is different. It's film study. Compare this to Chicago that has the number one pass rusher in the NFL right now, Khalil Mack. Now, Leonard Floyd is a far cry from that, but he's still higher than anybody else. Their number two guy is higher than anybody Detroit has. Minnesota has Everson Griffin and Daniil Hunter, who are both ranked, um, let's see, they're essentially 13th and 14th in the NFL in pass rushing. Brandon Graham is rated 16th in the NFL. They also have Vinnie Curry and Josh Sweat, both of which are above anybody Detroit has. They have three pass rushers better than the number one pass rusher in Detroit. Denver also has three pass rushers, Malik Reed, Von Miller, and Bradley Chubb, all three graded higher than anybody in Detroit. So again, I don't know what's going on with David Bakhtiari. All I know is that this is redemption time. This is time to absolutely shut this down. If he struggles in this game, something's wrong. Now, granted, his pass blocking grade has been high but still nowhere near. For the last, let's just look at David Bakhtiari's pass blocking grade since, for it's technically better than his rookie year. He had a 72, but since then, 85, 86, 93, 94, 93. So far this year, 77. So it's been, listen, been real tough defenses. He's struggling to get this this run blocking down, which he's never really been good at, but he's having a particularly rough time of it. 
and really it's just been kind of two bad pass blocking games. One, it was against Minnesota, which, you know, again, really good pass rushers, but David Bakhtiari should be able to rise above that. And then against Dallas, he also struggled. But again, this is redemption time. Somebody else that's that's not really that far off, but we should definitely keep an eye on is Aaron Jones. Now, Aaron Jones essentially was redeemed last week. However, overall grade 75. His grade last year was an 81. Now, here's the thing. As a receiver, his grade has gone through the roof. Went from a 58 to a 62 to a 73, meaning he's getting better at that, and he actually had an elite grade in that last week. Also, his pass blocking grade in 2018 was an 87.6. So far this year, a 90.7. Elite pass blocker. Where he's fallen short is as a runner. Now, last week, 84.3. Obviously, he did fantastic. But through four weeks, a 58, a 66, a 58, and a 63. Meaning his overall grade right now is a 72. Whereas his first two years as a runner, 84.6, 85.5. Bottom line, he's got a lot of room to grow. In other words, not even necessarily grow, but if you look at it, was week five a fluke? No, I think weeks one, two, three, and four were a fluke. Last week was kind of just who Aaron Jones is. Granted, he's not usually that good of a, a blocker, although he's a very good blocker. He's not usually that good. He's definitely not that good of a receiver, but he is that good of a runner. And again, if, if let's just say we get David Bakhtiari playing up to David Bakhtiari's standards. We get Aaron Rodgers playing up to his standard, which I don't even have very many complaints about Aaron Rodgers with the exception of a couple you know, throws it, need a little bit of air behind it and whatever. But let's just say he gets to where he's going and Aaron Jones continue what he's doing or what he did against the Dallas Cowboys. In other words, we get that Aaron Jones the rest of the year. Just that alone makes the Packers a powerhouse. Now, there's a lot of talk about... Here's the thing. When When I look at things as far as who I have expectations for, it's really just based on what I know. A lot of people are thinking, oh, Marquez is really, really good and we just gotta... Marquez is struggling this year. And he's, he's grading out about as, as well as he graded out in 2018. He had a 60.4 grade last year. He has a 59.6 grade this year. I like Marquez. I think he has a role. I think, we again, Aaron Rodgers needs to do a better job of getting that ball to him. And he can be one of those guys that has a big big gainer every single game. Right? A, lot, a lot of teams have those guys, right? They got that one guy that gets the 70-yard touchdown and everybody picks him up in fantasy and then you know he just doesn't do much. Or if he does, it's just that one or two big catches. That, I think that's what we have in Marquez and that's okay. That doesn't make him a, a legitimate number two option. As a possession, you know, you know, you can rely on him down to down. He has a role in the offense. But as far as do I expect this to just continue to... It, it can and it should... But he's performing essentially this year about the same as he has since he got to Green Bay. Somebody that I do expect more from, Corey Lindsley. This is his worst effort run blocking ever, which I think outside zone has a lot to do with that. Again, Corey Lindsley, when he got the job, I liked him because he was bench pressing about 1,000 pounds. Not literally, but just a monster. I, I don't think he's necessarily super athletic, so this isn't working out for him very well. But even as a pass blocker, he's only had one kind of down year as a pass blocker. That was in 2017. He had a 73.6. He rebounded in 2018 with an 85. It was his best pass blocking grade ever. So far this year, he's down to about 2017 range. Now, this is an average of the five weeks. So week one really put a hamper on it because it was a terrible week for him. Also against Dallas, very similar to what happened with uh, David Bakhtiari. Week one was bad. Week five was bad. In between wasn't so bad. Um, but he's he's got to be a little bit more consistent. And also the run blocking has just been pretty horrible, which kind of leads me to believe, depending on what he's able to do the rest of the year, I just stand by what I've said about not believing he's necessarily going to be getting a big contract to come back. And maybe he doesn't need one. Maybe he's good enough. I don't know. I like Corey Lindsley. I, I just, you know, Matt LaFleur is going to want better offensive linemen. Not that you can just guarantee. I mean, maybe they don't even draft one. But it just it makes me wonder a little bit. But there's definitely some uh, room for growth there. And again, we, we've got a great running back, and um, we've got a bunch of offensive linemen that really aren't very good at this. And Corey Lindsley is right up there near the top of guys that are just not good run blockers. And especially you look at good run running teams, the Eagles and the Cowboys, what do they have? Elite centers. But definitely got some room to grow there. Uh, Geronimo Allison, you know, you know, you know what I think of Geronimo Allison. He's good enough. Um, do I expect him to grow? No, I think he is what it is. He's going to continue being what he is. Same with Vitali, same with Kumaro. I would love to see Billy Turner step up, but the problem is, again, he's never been any good. His grade so far throughout his career, um, starting with Miami, overall 64.3, which was his best year pass blocking ever, and because it was only 17 snaps. Uh, 2015, when he became more of a regular starter, 
His overall grade was a 58.3. Terrible run blocker, mediocre, decent pass blocker. Then, starting in Miami, he had an overall grade of a 32.3. He got shipped off to Denver. 29 pass blocking grade, 39 run blocking grade. Then, in Denver, he only played 46 snaps, wasn't even a starter, had a 41 overall grade, 32 pass blocking, 64.8 run blocking, which is not good. Then in 2018, he was a full-time starter, His probably his best year as far as being you know, capable with the exception of his rookie year, which didn't count. But I think this is what Gutekunst saw and they see breakout year in him. 62.8 overall grade, which is average. 65 pass blocking, which is average. 56 run blocking, which is below average. And so far this year, he has a 53.6 with a 29.3 pass blocking grade, which seems insane. But again, that's literally exactly what he had in 2016 was a 29.3 grade. And his 62.9 run blocking grade is one of the best he's ever had. So he's kind of playing about as good as he is, which is to say one of the worst pass blockers in football and a subpar run blocker. Why we paid him a bunch of money, I'm not sure. But as far as do I expect him to turn the corner, not necessarily. I'm primarily trying to find guys that can improve, but I just I can't help myself sometimes. But essentially what I'm looking at is um, Bakhtiari, Aaron Jones, and Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Jones, I think, what we saw against Dallas, that is Aaron Jones. But we have not yet begun to scratch the surface of Aaron Rodgers' potential, and we have not yet seen even a little glimpse of Bakhtiari being Bakhtiari yet. Um, On the defensive side of the ball, obviously, Zadarius is doing fantastic. However, there is still room to grow because he has been horrible as far as his tackling. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to nitpick because he's playing out of his mind, and this is by far his best year ever. But I'm just saying, there's still a little bit more room to grow. The team in general has been terrible in tackling. A big part of the reason that teams have been able to gash us on the ground is because of tackling. If guys make tackles on that first attempt, we don't have as many big gains. So there is still room to grow there for Zadarius Smith. This is also somewhat true for Preston Smith, who, um, I mean, he's one of the best pass rushers in football right now. It's just he's playing out of his mind. I mean, this is an area where, you know, you look at Billy Turner and say, what are you doing? This could have easily happened to Preston Smith as, as well. He, you know, he's been pretty mediocre his entire career. I mean, you look at the pressures he had through his first three years, 38, 34, 39, those are entire seasons. He's got 24 already. In 2016, he had five sacks total. He has five already. In 2018, he had six for the season and 53 total pressures. He's one sack away from his entire sack total last year and is halfway to his pressure total through five weeks. This was a a buy low kind of a situation, and it seems to be paying off really well. Now, as far as room for growth, yeah. He's having having his worst tackling year ever. And last year, his run defense was his main point of, of being really, really good. He's also a a pretty talented cover guy, and he hasn't really hit that full potential yet. So he still has, yes, room to grow. Again, not upset at all. If he continues to just do what he's doing, I'm more than happy. But he has more in him. Uh, Look at B.J. Goodson, the guy we brought in. And I said he's kind of mediocre. He's nowhere near what he was with the the, uh, the Giants. However, we've seen some glimmers. Against Philadelphia, he was really actually pretty solid against the run. And that's all we want is a guy that can play solid against the run. And he's also a very, very good tackler. Uh, He he was not very good uh, week two against Minnesota, which is why his overall grade is kind of low. But since then, 76, 77, and 78. He's one of the best tacklers on this entire team. So again, lots of potential to have a guy in there that's going to play the run and actually play it really well. The same is true of Blake Martinez, who, although not very good against the run last year either since joining Mike Pettin's defense... Um, he was better last year, and he was graded as an elite um, run defender in 2017. Now, I think the change of scheme is it probably means we're not going to see that again, but he he should be getting, he, he does need to be better. And this last game against Dallas was just, it had to have been one of his worst games against the run ever. Um, a big one, and this is, this is kind of where, you know what, maybe I'll, is there anybody else? I'll end it with this. The, the biggest area that has been, uh, nowhere near its potential as the defensive line. And I'll start with Dean Lowry. Um, Dean Lowry right now is, is by far playing the worst he's ever played ever. Not It's not even close. His overall grade so far in, in four years has gone thusly starting in 2016. 72, 68, 73. So far this year, 48. Not always the greatest tackler, but 56, 78, 44. So far this year, 27. Terrible tackling. And his run defense is the most shocking 69, 71, 80 last year, 42.5 this year. Absolutely horrible, horrible, horrible. And beyond that, the biggest one that I, I really, really want to see a big improvement from 
is Mr. Kenny Clark. Kenny Clark has had one Kenny Clark style game, and that was against the Minnesota Vikings, and and understandably so because they had a terrible offensive line. He played mediocre against Chicago, mediocre against Denver, and was terrible against Philadelphia and abysmal against Dallas. Now, the biggest difference, and again, going back to kind of what I was talking about with Rodgers, and and not only should we expect this throughout the year, but even in this game, Dallas and Philly have very good offensive lines, especially when you look along the interior. Probably two of the better centers in the NFL. Now, Kenny Clark, you would hope, would be able to overcome that, similar to what we talked about with David Bakhtiari. I understand that uh, Everson Griffin is talented, but you should be able to overcome that because you're really good. But Kenny Clark needs to really, really, really have another kind of uh, a dominant performance, similar, again, to what we saw against Minnesota. And the reason we can somewhat expect that is because this is nowhere near as good of a, of a team. It's nowhere, this, this is not Philadelphia and Dallas. This is not Travis Frederick. This is not Jason Kelsey. You're going up against Frank Ragnow and Joe Dahl. Granted, Frank Ragnow and and Graham Glasgow right now are pretty solid on the interior. But, I mean, this offensive line is not that good. Kyler Fackrell has room to grow. Preston and Zedarius need to go off. And and we, we need the guys on the interior. The linebackers and the defensive line especially have been just getting assaulted. And that just has to stop. It just absolutely has to stop. And it has to stop this week. There needs Again... Getting back to what I started with, has to be a statement game. That's it. Make a statement. Because right now, everybody's laughing at you. People are laughing at Kenny Clark right now, which is ridiculous. But you know what? It's also earned. What is he doing? What, what is Dean Lowry, who got this massive contract, what, what for? What is he doing? What is Blake doing? What are any of them doing? Montravius has just been putrid. Tyler Lancaster is the only Packers interior defender that's any good against the run. And he's obviously terrible against the pass. But if he wasn't on the team, the Packers would have nobody. Kenny Clark is graded as the 71st best run defender. That's that's embarrassing. The guy's not doing himself any favors in a contract year, I can tell you that. I mean, we're, we're going to pay him, but that's terrible. Here's, a, here's something else. You want to know what else is worse? We're looking at 127 um, defensive linemen. Looking at their run grades... Dean Lowry is 121st, Montrevious is 127th, dead last, dead last. Montrevious is the worst run defender in football right now. Dean Lowry is, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7th worst. It's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And Montrevious is the worst by a lot, by the way. Jack Crawford is the second worst defensive tackle against the run. He has a 37.4 overall grade. Montrevious is sitting at 29. And, th- and you got everybody all over Twitter, by the way, all the, the big wigs in the blue check mark saying, oh, Montrevious, when he comes back, that's really going to help. How exactly is that going to help? He's not good at it. People don't, don't understand what they're talking about. Now, we talk about room to grow. Yeah, there is room to grow. He was better at it last year, albeit not playing very much. But again, everybody across the board has to be much better because this is terrible. He was decent against Chicago, I guess, in his very limited attempts. But, you know, I mean, he's not out there a lot, and I'm, I'm thinking it's for a reason. We need better. If Tyler Lancaster is our only hope to stop the run because Blake Martinez and B.J. Goodson and Tyler and, and Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry and Montrevious Adams can't do anything, we're in a lot of trouble. The good news is every single one of those players is better than they've been playing. Every single one. Montrevious, um, Dean, all of them. And they, they, this, this needs to be the game that they show everybody and, and shut everybody down. Because what are the Packers missing if they can patch that up? They're great in coverage. They're great pass rushers. They're suddenly good against the run. The Packers can pass the ball. The Packers can run the ball. Where's the flaw? Only one flaw on this entire team, and it is a massive flaw, and every single one of these guys needs to man up. Because it's, it's, it's to the level of being embarrassing. I'm missing tackles? Give me a break. Don't even know what gap you're supposed to be in? I mean, let's go. Week six. Week six, let's get it together. There's no excuses in this game. There just isn't. There's all kinds of variables. There's all kinds of things to look at. There aren't excuses. The Packers are on fire. The, the, the defensive front is good enough to stop the run. The offense and defense has the potential to be one of the top teams in the NFL if they can just get their stuff together. They're at home. They are the better team. The, the, the Packers at home have been, I mean, they were even good last year at home. They didn't win very many games. They won a lot of games at home last year. The crowd noise is through the roof. This can't be a take-your-foot-off-the-gas game. This needs to be pedal to the metal, and I think the energy is very possibly going to emanate from the crowd. This needs to feel like the Super Bowl. 
Every game needs to feel like the Super Bowl. But when if you're going to the game, and I'm, I'm dead serious about this, scream as loud as you can. I don't care if it's first down, second down, third down, fourth down. When the Detroit Lions have the – I don't care if we're down 34-3, to three, you scream your head off because it's the Super Bowl. The Green Bay Packers need to feel that energy. It, the, 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 forget the Packers. The Lions need to feel that energy. If they're up 14 nothing, they need to feel like they're down terrified of the pass rush the crowd noise the momentum is a very real thing keep that momentum on green bay sideline and as i always say if you're planning on going to this game and you want to yell at people to sit down stay home give your ticket to your your grandson you're not helping i know you paid your ticket but you still have an obligation to help this team if you're going to go there and not help the team then essentially you're hurting the team because every team has a home field advantage. Every team has people screaming, which helps their team. If we don't, that is called a disadvantage. You are actually hurting the Green Bay Packers. So yeah, I know you bought your ticket. Don't go. And again, if, if you can't stand up or if you have you know vocal code, whatever, find a way to support people. And at the very least, just keep your mouth shut. Don't tell people to sit down. Don't tell people to stop helping the Green Bay Packers win the game. If you want to pay a ticket to sit there and stare at somebody's back, that's your problem. But people are going to stand, people are going to pound, people are going to scream. And if you don't like that, don't go. But I want you to go. I want you to go, I want you to enjoy the game, and I want you to help the Green Bay Packers win. So please go, please be loud. Not when the Packers have the ball, though, in case in case that's not a given. And do not do the wave when the Packers have the ball. You can do it when, when why don't you just do it on a commercial break? I was going to say, you could do it when Detroit has it, but... If you're doing the wave, you're not paying attention to just screaming like a psycho. And that's what you have to do. Super Bowl, son. Super Bowl Monday. If it feels like a big game, it's because it is. Monday night, everything may as well be on the line. And the Packers and the fans and everybody need to make this feel like it's a big game because the more they feel like it's not a big game, I promise you Detroit feels like it's a big game. They have the opportunity to be number one in this division. You think they don't want that badly? You think they don't have the capability? The Green Bay Packers take their foot off the gas for a half a second. You give them one third down where you don't feel like getting up and screaming, where they can get a playoff in relative silence, they're going to bust this thing wide open. Make it feel like a win in your end game. Anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. Um, I probably will not have a podcast up tomorrow morning because I'm staying up late, and so I'm probably going to, I guess we'll call it sleep in. Um, that is the the goal. Possible, maybe I'll do it after the game, but probably not. Just don't anticipate one coming out super early. I'll probably plan on doing it uh, after work. But anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Monday. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.